ready. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to the Divas Show. We are also live on Facebook. I am here with ready. Mr. Rodney R. Jones. Mr. Jones. Hello, how are you? Good been, to see you. It's been a minute. We were supposed to do an interview before, yes. but the thing is, is that in this business, things happen, and you have to go where you know your career is trying to take you. And sometimes, sometimes you have to readjust things and everything. And then COVID hit. Yes. So yes. we weren't able to link, you know, for a long time, and um, people were just trying to survive basically around yeah. that time. True. And um, you're a part of witness, and when uh, it was the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. We had the big cast meeting. Yes. And um, we were all excited and ready to get started. And then, boom, everything hit. But I want to tell y'all, if you check out the uh, Witness trailer, you'll definitely see Mr. Rodney Jones. He plays a major part, a major role in this film. And I want you to make sure you check out Witness so that you can check them out. But we're going to talk about some other things because Mr. Jones is a part of a lot of things. I'm going to call you Rodney, too. Come on. He's part of a lot of different things um, that going on um, right now in the industry. You've done a lot of work. But what I do want to talk about um, first is um, we we talked about before we got on camera, mm -hmm. we talked about Philly yeah. and what's going on in Philly right now. And you have a strong background yeah. in law enforcement. And I just enlighten us because I know we talked about it, but I know you see the differences in when you were on the force and what's going on now. Like, what can you say from the public standpoint as a civilian? We see certain things, um, but I'm also sure that you recognize certain things. So, so one, we want to point out what was your, your last position that you had in law, law enforcement before we retired? My last assignment was with Philadelphia Highway Patrol. And that's basically the motorcycles and the boots. Um, we kind of like controlled the inner city, mm -hmm. focusing nothing on felony crimes. That's all we did. Okay. And it was generally a two-man team and wherever the, the most crimes were committed in the city, that's where I would detail my officers. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I know you also had um, a position in the narcotics division yeah. as well. Yeah. Now, during the time that you were working on pipes, I know that you, you went through that 80s <laughs> part where it was just absolutely, I mean, it's terrible now, but that whole era was like really crazy. Yeah, it was. You actually saw the transformation from the Black Mafia to the junior black mafia, to the Jamaicans and Dominicans and everything in between. And during that time, the violence started increasing. If you remember during that time, Miami Vice was a big thing. Yes. And, you know, everybody wanted to get into the drug game. They wanted the money to go with the flashy cars. They wanted all that. Right. So we seen an increase of that throughout the city. So they started forming several task force, and I was privy to be on two of them, a state task force and a federal a task force for DEA. And because they had unlimited resources, that allowed me to purchase the kilos and the upper echelon part of the drug game. 
why I don't answer now mm -hmm. but back then it was just exciting you know I can imagine it was exciting and you know we tried to take down and save as many neighborhoods as we could you know but it was just unfortunate that when crack hit and there was another shift because now you had right inside the black community and it was destroying, destroying homes and families because it was so addictive. It was way more addictive than heroin. So, you know, that's what we kind of focused on toward the later part of my undercover career is crack. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can believe that most definitely. And one of the things that you just said is, um, because I, I know you all are familiar, I work for um, department as well, but not in the capacity in, in which um, I'm out there on the streets doing law enforcement. I'm not an officer. But um, one of the key things that you did say is that um, during that crack period and, and era, they y'all developed special teams mm -hmm. for that. And what I'm experiencing now is they developed special shooting teams. Now there's different, you know, divisions. They have different um, shooting teams that actually go out and they're specific in investigating, you know, what's going on as, a, as opposed to um, individual officers or, you know, um, in the old sense on how they were investigated because there are so many going on in the right. city. So that's why they developed those special forces. And that's why they developed those special forces mm -hmm. when you were a part of um, the police department. So I am going to tell y'all that, um, Rodney and I do share a personal person in the past, mm -hmm. very personal. Um, <clears throat> and you know the both of them. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is Mr. Drexel Reed Sr., God rest his soul. Mm -hmm. And another is Miss Kitty Reed. So um, hopefully, Miss Kitty, you get an opportunity to watch this. But you worked with uh, Drex. Drexel Reed. Yes. I'm going to say, I met Mr. Drex when my daughter was on the drill team. Back then it was called the Ogon Steppers. My daughter was maybe about eight. Mm -hmm. And she was a part of the Ogon Steppers that did drill teams, um, performances, competitions, parades, things of that nature. And I met Mr. Drex because he was the lead drummer. Oh, really? He was the head drummer. <laughs> Listen, when I tell you that um, he was a very genuine guy. Yes, he was. Very genuine. He was very soft-spoken. Mm -hmm. But when he raised his voice, you knew he meant business. Absolutely. He kept our drummers so tight in line. It was just, it just, I still have some of the tapes from watching them perform. Um, so, I, I remember him dearly because not only did my children um, have an opportunity to work with him, but um, they had an opportunity to learn some things mm -hmm. from, from him and Miss Kitty. So um, tell, tell us about your experience with uh, Drex Reed, rest the soul. Um, my last assignment was in Highway Patrol, and it's a very elite unit within the department. Um, they take the best officers from all over the city and they place them in this one unit and basically what they do is they focus on felony crimes. And me being a supervisor, for you to get appointed to that position, 
meaning that you were in high regards with the upper echelon. But one of the requirements that you had to do when you get there, you learn how to ride the motorcycle. I had a hard time riding the bicycle, but now we're talking about Harley Davidson, that big bike. And one of the requirements is you have to learn how to do it. And once you pass the course, they gave you what's known as the highway wings. It's your badge of honor. Mm -hmm. And without wings, you're nobody and you can't stay in the unit. Mm. And so when I went to training, I had a very, very difficult time trying to ride that motorcycle. I don't know how many times I fell. So Drex came up and said, Sergeant Jones, I'm going to personally train you how to ride this, they call it a wheel, this wheel. I'm like, Drex, I don't think I can do it, man. He said, trust me, we'll get you done. And he took six weeks with me every day, eight hours a day, to learn how to ride that motorcycle. And all the things I've done in my life, that was by far the hardest thing that I've ever tried to do or accomplished. But I could not have gotten it done without Drex. And his leadership in terms of being a, an older officer in highway patrol, he really, he also helped me learn the policies and you know how to run that kind of a department, unlike a regular district. Because the guys that we had were very aggressive. And you had to make sure it was like military, it wasn't like loose like a district. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was spit and polished. We had inspections, there were salutes, yes, sir, no, sir. And he taught me that. You know, this is how you have never been in the military, so you have to up your game. Okay. Now, I've never been in the military, so I don't know about that. But it was paramilitary. Everybody's walked past you as supervisor, they're going to salute you. Anything out of their mouth was yes, sir, no, sir. They yes, sir, no, sir on the radio. And it took me some time to adjust to it mm -hmm. because I've never experienced it. But getting back to that motorcycle when it was over and you went on those details and I'm in the front riding that motorcycle, I was very confident that I could have never done it and got those wings without Drex. And Miss Kitty is Drex's wife. Mm -hmm. So she's she's just a wonderful woman. And she's always been encouraging, always. I'm gonna tell you how uh, myself and Miss Kitty, we we communicated in the beginning, we communicated. Um, because my daughter was on the drill team, mm -hmm. and Miss Kitty was hard. She was hard. When it came to that drill team, I'm just going to tell you, she made sure everybody was in line. She didn't take no foolishness or anything like that. And she took, how do I say, every child personal. You know, she didn't treat it just as a drill team. Mm -hmm. You know, she wanted to make sure you got home safe. You know, if you needed something to eat, she made sure she feed you. If you needed to hang at her house until your mom got off of work or whatever, or dad got off of work to pick you up because they couldn't pick you up right at drill. She would make sure that, you know, you were there, you were safe, sure. and this, that, and the other. And um, so, you know, we hung out at the house for a while and, and things like that, uh, helping do pom-poms and all that stuff. But we developed a very, very good friendship. So at one point, she decided that she wasn't going to do drill anymore. Okay. And I was like, oh, man, you don't want to do it. She said, it's difficult right now, and I need to focus on some other things. So I understood, you know, with much respect, I understood. I said, okay. So I think maybe a year or two went by, and I went to her because I wanted to start drill team. Mm -hmm. So I said, Miss Kitty, I'm really thinking about, I said, the girls in the neighborhood miss you. They miss drill. 
And I'm thinking maybe I can help you with the drill team. She said, why don't you just do it? She said, just do it. She said, the only thing that I ask is that you keep Ogans, Ogans, whatever name that you decide to name it, you can name it, but don't, don't use Ogans. I said, not a problem. So we went on, you know, to do wiser suppers. But she was my confidant and the person I spoke with about everything in order for me to do that, you know, the different steps that I needed to take, how to get them into um, competitions, like she held my hand through everything. Sorry. She held my hand through everything. And, you know, I appreciated that to the point where she started to feel like, like mom, Mm -hmm. you know, so I would come over and check on her every now and then. Yeah, she missed it. She missed the kids, but it was other things that were more important that were going on. Um, And I, you know, before she moved to Florida, you know, I would go and visit her as much as possible when she was over in Linwood Gardens, but now she's in um, Florida and um, she moved there after the passing of um, Drex. And I think I saw him a week prior to. Really? I did. Yeah, that was a week prior to. So God rest um, director, senior soul. We truly miss you. You are truly blessed um, to have such such a family um, surround you during the most difficult time. And they even shouted him out at the Eagles game. Yeah. You know, and it blew my mind. I was like, wow, they just shouted their song at the Eagles game. So um, I want to move forward. And I want to ask you, after having such an extensive career with the police department, what made you think about acting? Well, after uh, I retired from the police department, I went into another career in pharmaceuticals. Um, when I retired from there, um, I really wasn't doing anything. I could always say that I didn't choose acting, acting chose me. And what I mean by that is I, a young man was a police officer when I worked. Um, he just basically got tired of being a cop. Mm-hmm. His name was Kevin Gee. And he basically quit and went out west to LA. Mm-hmm. And he became Oprah's security guy. Okay. So that allowed him to be around all of the performers, all of her actors, with Queen Sugar, Greenleaf, and all of that. Oh, wow. Okay. I love Greenleaf. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful show. Yes. So with Kevin, you know, by being around with them, um, he met me in New Orleans at, at the uh, Essence Festival. Okay. He told me to come over and meet the cast. Wow. So I went over, I'm hanging out with, with all of them. And I'm just like, so down to earth, they treated me like, you know, like I'm part of what they are. And I'm eating it up. I'm taking pictures and hugging and shaking hands. I know that first. You know, but because Kevin got into that, mm-hmm. and he also developed a interest in directing. Okay. So whatever Oprah encouraged him to do, he did because he stepped out and said, I'm going to do a film. And he included me in that film in the back of role as a CIA agent. And I'm like, oh man, this is pretty cool. And the lights and the cameras, it just fascinated me. I'm like, this is really, really cool. I, I, I didn't have one line, but I had a lot of actions and movement mm-hmm. with the stars. I'm like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And on set, I met a young man who was one of the, the, the main players in the show, Nakia Dillard. 
Mm. You know, Nakia. Yes. Great brother. Yes. And Nakia and I talked, and he said, listen, if you're interested in really acting, you need to take a class. Mm -hmm. So I joined his class. I did it for probably about a year, close to a year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I learned what I could, but the more I took the class, the more fascinated I became with it. It became like from an interest to a passion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with that in me, I started taking other classes, mm -hmm. you know, and I met some people along the way to, to encourage me and help my journey. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty much how I got into acting. Well, I want to say you have done quite a bit. Thank you so much. For, for one that did not have it prior to um, actually, how do I say this, being thrown right into the mix? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yes, the, the cameras and lights, it, it it can bring you into that like, whoa, I like this. I like this environment. Yes. I like what's going on. Yes. And um, one of the things that I know about Nakia is he's very passionate about whoever he works with, or even somebody that doesn't work with him. He's very passionate about um, working with people and helping them to get further in their careers. For instance, like you said, the acting classes. And I noticed a lot of his actors are doing a lot of major, major things from mm -hmm. the children all the way to yes. the um, adults. So I'm going to ask you this. Um, outside of you getting into it, what has been the most rewarding part of it for you? The, the most rewarding part, I would think, would be seeing the growth from day one to where I'm at now and being able to accomplish the, the fact that I'm a SAG acting one. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, was the ultimate achievement for me because I never thought I could do that. And see, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, that's one of the things that we were going to talk about. Okay. So since you mentioned it, we're going to talk about it. Okay. So <clears throat> there, there are people that have been in the industry for quite some time that are still not SAG. I know. There are a lot of benefits to being with SAG that people are unaware of. Mm -hmm. um, understanding that people that have speaking roles, especially lead speaking roles, in a film, are eligible, you know, they get eligibility points. You get eligibility points. If you get three, then you become three waivers. Three waivers. Yes. Then you become said eligible. Mm -hmm. People don't understand that. Um, I know some people have said to me that they've gone on to the website, you know, to try to pay their way on there. But why pay them your way to get said, you know, if you've already been doing the work? If some people that are not listing their work, um, not uploading their information to the IMD, uh, IMDB mm -hmm. website. I'm going to say it to you all, and I, I say it over and over and over. You're putting in the work. You're not getting credit for it. And the thing about it is, if, if you want to break into major films and you want to get booked for major films, it's okay that word of mouth. However, if you're in a production and someone sees you acting, the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to go to your IMDB page to look up your information yes. so that they can reach out to you and contact you. But if you don't upload that information onto your IMD page, you're just working for nothing. You're just working just, just to be working and having fun. So 
since your um since you did obtain your uh SAG status, how, how did it feel when you went down to the reception? You know, I, I I had two waivers. Okay. And basically I got the waivers from background roles. Mm -hmm. What I was told part of my journey is you gotta go to New York, you have to do background work. And if you get on the network TVs, power, blue bloods, FBI, things like that, they'll give you a waiver. Mm -hmm. Okay, and once you get through, now you're SAG eligible. Mm -hmm. But I had an opportunity to be in a SAG movie as a prominent role as a doctor. Mm -hmm. And the young man that helped me do this, his name is Mark Dixon. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you're serious, and I want you to be serious, he said, I will help you get SAG. Because I will do your paperwork. I will submit your paperwork to SAG and let them know that you are ready to join, but there is a price. And the price was $3,000 mm -hmm. plus your first year or whatever dues. Mm -hmm. He said, a lot of guys I tried to help, well, I don't have the money. I said, listen, you give me an opportunity to join SAG, I'll join it tomorrow. That's how bad I want this. He said, it's a game changer. I said, I know. Mm -hmm. He said, but at the same time, a lot of projects that you're getting now, you won't be able to work with. You can't do them anymore. Non-union, you can't do. So you have to make a decision. Do you want to be sad and start advancing your career and possibly getting paid more? Or do you want to keep doing non-union and getting the credits, but they're not taking you anywhere but sad eligibility? Right. Okay. And that's the way it was explained to me. And I thought about it for about five seconds mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I said I want SAG okay and he submitted all of my paperwork and sent it up to New York and within two weeks they called me back and told me what I had to do told me how you know what I had to do to pay and uh, December of 2019 I'd only been in the game a year and a half I got my SAG card and to me that was I've arrived because now I consider myself a professional actor yes and like you said, there's a lot of people that's been in the game that don't have sad. Right. And you know, it's it's nothing like it. It's just it's just nothing like it. So let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Um you've been featured in a couple of magazines, right? <laughs> yes, I have. Which one? I've been in Hollywood Times mm -hmm. and Hustle and Soul. And both of those are out in LA. Mm -hmm. And basically, you know, their interest was, you know, we'd like to talk to you because we don't see your kind of journey often. And we see no correlation between police officer and the acting industry. Can you help us understand your journey? Mm -hmm. And that's basically what both magazines want to talk about. And then it was, okay, well, now we understand. Let's move on to what you've accomplished since you've been in the industry. Right. But it's always, there's no correlation between cop or police sergeant and what you're doing. And I tell them, you know, my, my acting coach, John Palapa, once told me when I met him, he says, listen, you worked undercover. If you can buy kilos of cocaine and convince these guys that you're not a cop, that is the ultimate form of acting. Because if you don't, you're probably going to be in a bad situation. Exactly. You know, he said, and, and those are things that can't be trained. You can't train to go undercover. 
you have to, it has to be something that's within that makes you comfortable to say, I can put myself in this role and embrace it mm-hmm. and don't worry about the danger and be successful in doing it. He said, if you can do that, you're a natural. And behold, the seven years I was undercover, not once was I ever made as a cop. And there were hundreds and hundreds of arrests. I mean, tons of whatever. We locked up and seized all kinds of stuff. Wow. So he said, if you can do that, I, you can act. And I will teach you how to act on camera. That's definitely on, on point because, <laughs> I mean, you know, in front of a camera, your life is not at risk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going undercover, you don't have no choice but to get it right. First time. The first time. Right. Period. You know, there's no double take. You don't need to do this. <laughs> you don't need to do double this. Take. Yeah. So I know you mentioned earlier power. So you did a couple of episodes of power, right? I did. How was that experience? My whole thing was power was is probably my favorite show, the original one. Okay. And I said to myself, if I can just get on power one time, I would feel that this journey was worth everything that I, every piece of energy I do. It doesn't matter if I'm background or whatever, as long as I can say I was on power. Okay. And the first time I, I went on it, I went on and I had a scene with Method Man as an inmate. Okay. And I'm sitting here, it's a featured background role. Mm-hmm. And I had, I'm talking to a wife. And I, can't, I mean, it was like a little boy at Christmas. I, I'm on power, you mm-hmm. know, but you know, most sex, they don't let you take pictures. Right. You know, they confiscate you caught in your phone, but mm-hmm. one of the characters, uh, two bit, I forget his name, Michael something. He said, listen, I'll take a picture and I'll give it to you of me and you. I said, I appreciate it. You know, and when it aired, of course, they edited it out in production, but I was on power. And then they called back to do power two. Mm-hmm. And I was in that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, since since then, I've gotten that out of my system. Okay. And my goal now is to, you know, I'm doing a lot of auditions for network TV. So I'm trying to get, you know, co-star roles now. Okay. But looking back, my biggest dream was, I just want to be on power. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, you've accomplished that and you've accomplished quite a lot of of, of work here um, I'm looking over. And some of it, when you sent me your bio, some of it I missed, so I do apologize. It's okay. But you, um, I'm not sure if this is current, Chase. Is that Chase Street? Chase Street. Yeah, Chase Street was, uh, let's see, probably about two or three years ago. Okay. Um, they actually took a chance with me because that was one of the first speaking roles I had. I was not sad. Okay. And they took a chance. So we like your look. You're a cop. We got a cop role for you. And it's a very, very intense scene. And it's not, it's really not long. Mm-hmm. Just be a cop. And they put me in it, and I said, okay. I mean, we shot it, two takes, and you did perfect. So now I'm like, okay, well, now I have a speaking role under my belt. But I wasn't sad, mm-hmm. you know. But to me, this is another step in the journey of being where I want to be. And when I seen it aired, I, I, I just couldn't, I'm saying, wow. You know, Clifton Powell was in this. 
the guy from Sopranos is in this, Makia is in this. You know, I kind of start feeling, well, I can really do this, you know. And I'm I'm just thinking, just just coming from not being in that world, you know what I mean? And you've had some major, you've been on some major sets. Yeah. You know, you did, um, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's okay. Mm -hmm. But you were in um, Sawdust. Yes. American Gangster. That one was, oh my goodness, that was probably the most rewarding because I, I was able to meet a young lady by the name of Thelma Wright. Okay. And Thelma had um, already did two episodes of American Gangster. And when I got a call from someone that they wanted me to meet and talk with her, because she had heard that I had worked undercover in Philly. Okay. And they were getting ready to do her second part of American Gangster. Would I be willing to talk to her? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, how did she? I never had no interaction with her. I knew who she was. I had okay. seen her first episode, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I never dealt with the JB with the uh, Black Mafia. I dealt with the Junior Black Mafia, but not her husband. Okay. Why would she want to talk to me? You know, and I'm thinking, I step on some toes, and I'm like, is this going to be? You know, how's this going to come back? Right, right, right. And once I talked to her, she said, look, I just I just want to put you in touch with BET. They want to talk to you. And they will compensate you if you would be part of this documentary. So I talked to her, Patino Washington out in LA, and I agreed to be in the production. Mm-hmm. BET flew out to Philadelphia, South Philly, and they interviewed me for a couple hours about my undercover experience in Philly, mm-hmm. my interaction with the, with the with JBM, the Junior Black Mafia. Mm-hmm. You know, did I know Thelma? No, but I knew of her. Mm-hmm. And every time I see her, I jumped, I said, Thelma, I said, listen, you're very blessed because your name never came across my desk. You know, she'd have a brand new story. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, she's, you know, she's, she's turned everything around. She's helping the community. She's helping women. And that aired, and they actually put me in in there with my interview. Wow! So that was that was pretty big too, because BET actually reached out to me, and they they said, "Do you have any old pictures from you know confiscated drugs, money?" I said, "I I can you know find something, mm-hmm. and we'll compensate you for them." I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. These pictures are twenty years old. You want some old pictures? Yeah. I said, okay, sure, you can have them. You know, so they compensated me for the picture of my time. And that's another thing on the resume that I felt very, very encouraged about. I, I, I'm i going to tell you that um, I watched your shows. Yeah. I listen. It was basically, I don't, I think it was like a reenactment. Yeah. It was a whole reenactment. Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away. I was just blown away. I was yeah. like, this chick is like wasn't she something? She was she was something else. She, and she, she didn't was, play. She was making, I think she told me 400000 a month. Mm-hmm. And she was doing from East Coast to West Coast. Mm-hmm. So she was she was a baller. Yeah, she was and she was she was a baller, you know. I think all of this was happening when I I think in the in the 80s, 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I was just so I mean, I knew about you know, JBM, um, you know, of course, everybody heard and would mm-hmm. hear different rumors and things like that. 
honestly, I had no idea that it was a female. Yeah. I had no idea at first until I watched. I was like, wait, what? Because back then, I mean, you wouldn't think that a female would be into it that heavy, if that makes sense. You, for some reason, she took over her husband's business and just, just yes, multiplied it. You know, she not only did she run things in Philly, she ran them in L.A. And then this is before there was, a, you know, a lot of the postal service checking packages. Mm-hmm. So she's sending money across country. She's sending product across country and they're just exchanging in the air. And she's living that ball of life. I mean, she was a true queen pin. Listen, <laughs> but I tell you, a mother's, a mother's love will do it. A mother's love would do it. And and when I say that, you all have to watch it to understand what yeah. I'm saying. But a mother's love would do it. And it's something that was in her that she could not right. stay away. Right. You know what I mean? But it's at the same time, it was that mother's love that got her out of the game. Yes. Because they came after her and her son. Yes. So that's what got her out of the game. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what got her out of the game. That's important. Like, with her... I'm not going to say demise because it wasn't a demise, so to speak, but it's, it was just a lot of intricate parts of the story. I'm not going to get into the story mm-hmm. because we're talking about Rodney's story right now, but I would encourage you to check it out, check out the documentary so that you can yes. check out Rodney in the uh, the documentary. What is the name of the documentary? American Gangster Trap Queen, a Thelma Wright story. So you'll be able to check him out in that. And just as I spoke earlier, you'll be able to check him out in witness as well. I'm wearing a witness shirt. I'm going to have the other witness shirts that are going to be for um, for you all to purchase. Um, but definitely look for him in witness. He has a major part. I knew you all saw him in a trailer. You can always go to YouTube to check out the witness trailer, film trailer. It's going to be coming out soon. We're looking to do the premiere in late August. Oh, it's going to be um, late August, from what I understand, and you'll be able to purchase tickets and come out and check out Witness uh, film premiere. It's going to be red carpet, so forth and so on. We'll give you some other details. Is there anything currently that you're working on that you want to share with everybody? Um, I recently got cast in a feature film, uh, Sonny Liston, King of the Ring. And that's the story about uh, former heavyweight champion, Sonny Liston and mm-hmm. his ups and downs. Uh, I got cats in a major role. It's still in pre-production, so we're waiting to see how that's going to turn out. But I'm very excited about that because there is that's a primary, that's a principal role in that. Listen, when you said Sonny Liston, I know um, my father used to talk about Sonny Liston real heavy. You know, I wasn't that much into boxing, mm-hmm. but of course. You know, Ali was one of my favorites. Ali was the man. He was one of my favorites. Um, and his, 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 how do I say, his interviews were just remarkable because he would just act out. You know, he would, you just waited for Ali to just go off in his, in his, uh, his own way. In his own way when they're interviewing him. And, you know, it was a joy to watch him. It was a joy to watch him fight. And um, my father loved Ali, and I loved Ali, and Sonny Liston, he would talk about Sonny Liston, but I, I was not that familiar mm-hmm. with watching Sonny Liston, but I would, like, hear it from my dad, so mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that, 
um, you know, that story to check out more about him. I know he's a phenomenal boxer. He was a phenomenal boxer. So you're working currently on the King of Rings. Um, I'm excited for you. I'm very excited for you. And I will tell you one of the main reasons that I wanted to have you on the show is because your journey has been, how do I say, so abrupt, very abrupt. And that's a major accomplishment. Um, you're very focused on what you want to do. Um, you put your energy, your time into what you want to do. You ask as many questions as possible. You always want to make sure that you get it right. And like I said, the reason why, you know, I want to have you on is because you have done amazing um, in this industry. Thank you. Thank you, you know? so much. And I think some people can learn from you when it comes to actually being committed, committed, <laughs> committed. I don't know if you heard me. Did I say committed? <laughs> committed to your career. Um, because so many, like I said, I've come across many people that are in this industry that they'll say that they want to do something and want a role and you give them a role and they're lackadaisical and showing up or they're not getting the right commitment to the work. And when they come on set, they're not prepared. Right. But I will say, you know, like you said, within a year and a half, you have been on some major sets, you've done some major things, and you're focused, you know? And I just I just wanted to celebrate that with you. Thank you so much. On the show. Definitely. So this is Devo with the Diva Show. We're getting ready to sign off. Um, I just have a quick insert real quick. Um, I'm not sure if you all have checked out my page. However, I posted this morning that I'm going to be writing and directing the infamous Black Madam story. Uh, she's from Philadelphia. She wrote a book, and the book is the same title, The Infamous Black Madam. And we're going to be <clears throat> doing a screenplay uh, of The Infamous Black Madam. And those of you that are not aware, she's the young lady that, um, I don't mean to laugh when I say this, but she's the young lady that unfortunately was incarcerated due to uh, butt injection, a uh, situation gone wrong. Um, there's a lot of um, a lot of information going on uh, of what happened during that period in time. Um, she's given detailed information about her life and life changes that she has made and talks about her incarceration uh, with that whole situation that she went through 10 years ago. So I am feeling thankful and blessed that I was chosen to write her story. And I'm looking forward to the screenplay and I'm looking forward to bringing it to you all. Again, I want to thank you, Rodney, for being a part of the show. I want you all to also look out for uh, Witness Film Premiere that's going to be coming out soon. Get your clothes ready, girls, get your heels and get your dresses ready. The guys, get some shoes, not dress pants and sneakers. Get your shoes and come on out. You know, it used to be back in the day that you had some sharp shoes. Now it's like they putting on dress pants with sneakers. I don't get it. Like, come on, guys. Come on. Anyway, moving on. This is Diva Gordon with the Diva Show. Usually I come on every second and fourth Thursday. Today I came on Friday. I'm interrupting y'all work Friday, but hopefully I was able to bring y'all some information that y'all can tune into, that y'all can listen to, that y'all can watch or enjoy while you're at work to help your work day move along. You're already close to like, what, 1.30, almost 2 o'clock, so your day is almost over. 
You know what I mean? I hope I helped it move along. Like you checked it out on even on the sneak tip. You know how you do at work. You had your little earbud in. But anyway, we're not gonna go there. But this is Diva Gordon with DEU coming to you, ending the Diva Show for today. I thank you all and appreciate you all for checking in with us. And we will see you again soon. All right. This is Diva Gordon from DEU. Love, peace, and hair grease. Take care.